0: Dear brethren, we are living unique moments in the history of mankind, and we all wonder inside our hearts, what's next? We do know because God has revealed tremendous knowledge of prophecy to his church, especially the living church of God, the bulwark of the truth. And uh, it is important I would like with you, brethren, today to review some scriptures together of things that we all know, but it's good to visualize in a closer way, with a closer focus from time to time, so that we are not taken by surprise when things start developing at a greater speed than we have seen in the last few weeks and months. There is a proverb that I would like to read with all of you, Is in Proverbs chapter 29, you know it very well, and verse 18. Proverbs 29, verse 18, I'm going to read it from the Revised English Bible, of the New English Bible, I think it really translates very well. I will read first how it does, it is in the New King James. Where there is no revelation... The people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Then the, the new English translation says, where there is no prophetic vision, I think makes it more precise for us, the people cast off restraint. So we need, brethren, to take this seriously and have prophetic vision which God has already given to us. I'm no prophet, but God has revealed everything we need to know about our future. Sometimes in amazing detail, He gives us a chronological timetable with months and years of the future that is approaching very quickly. Where we're living now, brethren, brethren, it's just a foreshadow of things that are coming. Much worse. But way beyond that, we always have this shiny light of the kingdom of God who is getting closer to us. I was just looking at the state of this nation a few details about the moral depravity which continues to affect even the higher courts of this nation, making, making legal what is abomination to God? And it's no wonder that God in His own word, if you can go with me to Isaiah chapter one, what are, what are the way God addressed this, this nation, brethren? In Isaiah chapter one, it is a strong language. But we see in chapter one and verse 10 of the book of Isaiah, God speaking to Israel today, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Are we seeing that today? Are we seeing turning to legality by the highest court, that type of behavior, brethren, in going away from God's path to real life and real happiness? Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of your God, you people of Gomorrah. That's just one aspect, among many others, brethren, which becomes law against the law of God. That's why we'll be persecuted in the future, brethren, because we will stick to that covenant written in our hearts and minds, those Ten Commandments and the statutes and the judgments that are ramifications of those Ten Commandments. They will try to eliminate us, my dear brethren. But if we endure until the end, we will... Be instruments in making those laws the constitution of tomorrow's world, my dear brethren. And there is another scripture here, also in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 23. Isaiah 1:23. You princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless not does the cause of the widow come before them. You know, people wonder why the stock market is growing up. I just read an article. It's been for the profit of the richest people in this nation. Just a few. They, they resell and they buy again their stock to make it more expensive. And people that want to have some stock are being just deprived. So they can have some resources. You know the Bible says the ambition will kill those that possess ambition. It's in the book of Proverbs. There is another scripture I would like to read here. In chapter 3 verse 9 of the book of Isaiah. The book, the look of their countenance witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Nobody today, and very few people would like to hear those words, but they are there, they have been preserved there, and God is speaking to this nation as He spoke through Isaiah to that nation, what happened to Solomon even almost 1,000 years before Isaiah, and today's is as truth as it was then, my dear brethren. So we suffer because of that. We are not happy. See what happens to this nation. And also the death of this nation, brethren. You know, the book of Proverbs says, in chapter 22, verse 7, chapter 22, the rich rules over the poor. Chapter, uh, this is Proverbs 22, verse 7. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Do you know, I don't know exactly now how many trillion dollars is the debt of this nation by maybe approaching 30 trillion. According to the simplest calculations, it's a debt impossible to pay. It's a kind of slavery because it says here, the borrower is servant to the lender. It's probably a forewarning of an indication of what's ahead for this nation, brethren. Even the gross domestic product, I'm not an economist, but just seeing some simple things, the economy is not as complicated as they they have made them. It's very simple. Don't spend more than you get in. That's the basics of economy. Stay within your means. That's what we've been taught. But they invent all types of tricks and strange manipulations To get money out of nothing. And they they are printing paper now. You know, the day to give account will come. And people will lose trust in that paper that is not backed by anything, brethren. So our treasure has to be in heaven. Where we trust God and we depend on Him and we obey Him. He is our refuge in every sense of the word. Financial, spiritual, and physical. Even the gross domestic product of this country, the yearly, cannot serve the interest of the debt. We are already doomed in a downward spiral. Deadly, my dear brethren. So we are trapped, but we know there is a way out. There is only one. As we said in the sermonette, is to be ambassadors for Christ and let the shine of the light of God shine through us and in our environment in every sense. That's our mission. So, brethren, and there is also in this nation, I was amazed with the paralysis of the economy. You see here in this magazine, The Week, it says free fall. Is the U.S. economy headed? For a second great depression. Even Mr. Gerald Weston mentioned that word in his latest update to this world. It might be the case, brethren, which will give account for all the money being printed out of nothing, out of thin air, like he said. But one of the worst things we have seen now, and this is the latest The Week magazine, is a very liberal magazine, but they quote, from other sources, which gives you, if you want, a more balanced view of the situation. So here, we have right on the top, the revolt of the generals. Brethren, we're approaching real, serious times in this country. Jesus Christ said, and I invite you, brethren, to follow me, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew Chapter 12. And verse 23. Matthew chapter 12. And verse 23. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And said to them. Every kingdom divided against itself. Is brought to desolation. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will stay. This is the truth for today. It doesn't matter how big the nation is. He didn't say that. It's not conditional. It's just a plain statement, full of wisdom, coming from the mouth of God himself, the word of God. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. No matter how much, no many how many weapons and how powerful military is, if this nation turns against itself with three hundred million weapons that have three hundred million inhabitants of this nation. What do you think is going to happen, brethren? And the title here is the revolt of the generals. The president of this nation is the commander in chief of the army, of the military. But among those militaries, people of great prestige that have retired and so on says they are not so retiring, retired ger- um, ge- generals are frankly turning themselves against the commander in chief. What does this mean, brethren? Brethren, division at the highest levels if the military gets divided in this nation what's going to happen it will divide and destroy this nation it will be easy prey for a foreign power that we know is lurking in Europe now brethren I will tell you a little bit more about that so I read I have some comments here from different editorials I won't read it all but there is one from The Economist that speaks a lot and says, for now we're willing to stand up to him. These generals, the economist in an editorial while it is reassuring that the generals, they are on the side of the generals. We are not taking sides here, brethren. Don't misinterpret me. We are not part of this world. We observe things going on and we know what's going to happen in the future, but we don't take sides. That would be a great mistake for a disciple of Jesus Christ. He he did not take sides. He said to Pilate very clearly, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my adepts, my followers will come and fight for me. He didn't even want to ask his father for seven legions of angels to come and obliterate those that were arresting him. But he submitted himself to the authority to redeem the whole world, my dear brethren. The authority of his father, first of all, who allowed that to happen. You know that. I don't need to explain that. But this sentence here, I don't want to read the whole thing for you, but it says that it falls to them to do so in an indictment of the state of American politics and shows how close we truly are to the abyss. This is The Economist. How close we are to the abyss. A nation divided against itself will not stand. It's written and if we fulfilled if we continue on that path without repentance like they have been worn over and over by this work, brethren. But we know the consequences when it doesn't happen, when that repentance does not come, and a hardening of the heart is the result sometimes of our preaching. So, brethren, we are in a serious condition in this nation. Now, there's one more aspect I want to point out to you. Yes, a nation divided again itself will not stand. Will be an easy prey, an easy fulfillment to the prophecy God gave through Moses. We'll read just a little bit. You know this prophecy very well. Well, it's good to reflect on those, chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy, it says here in verse 49, chapter 38, verse 49 of the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord will bring a nation against you. You will be desolate, easy prey, brethren. No matter how powerful we are, the greatest will be the catastrophe of fighting brother against brother in this nation like it happened in the civil war. But this there's no comparison now. With three million people or with three million weapons here in this country, it's going to be terrible. More powerful the nation, worse the catastrophe and deeper the abyss. To fall in. The Lord will bring a nation against you. I'm to tell you a little bit. Of what's going on in Europe brethren. And we know that. We have been preaching that for decades. And it's coming. And it's now closer than ever. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. From the end of the earth. Listen to this description. A swift As swift as the eagle. I read Deuteronomy 28 verse 49. As swift as the eagle flies. A nation whose language you will not understand. Do I need to explain which language is that one my dear brethren? A nation of fierce countenance. Which does not respect the elderly you have seen in the movies about the second war and the concentration camps nor show favor to the young and the world shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed easy prey and you know the rest of the prophecies brethren what the end will be but we know beyond that the restoration will come and this nation will flourish again Christ will renew the face of the earth. He will make the whole earth a paradise. And probably these tribes, the few survivors that will stay after this tribulation that is coming, once they grow, there is a prophecy in Isaiah 49, I think, make room for us. We don't have enough room here. You know, the Holy Land is a very narrow stretch of land. And God, in all probability, will populate again these lands completely transformed in a paradise it would be a glorious future. that's what we always have to contrast with the immediate future my dear brethren so we have hope day by day. So what's going on in Europe now brethren this is the first time in the history of mankind as long as far as we know where the wall the economy of the whole planet, has been paralyzed by a pandemic. That's a forewarning of what's to come. Brethren, we had a pandemic. In this country, over 120,000 people have died already. But also we know they will be brought back to life in a paradise, in a very different world, brethren. In a world where there will be peace and love of humanity, no matter their origins or the ethnic background. It will be a very different world, my dear friends. So, what's going on in Europe? The world, in Europe, they are looking for leadership that take Europe out of the terrible distress of the lockdown and the confinement and the paralysis of the economy. I'm going to read to you how this was the Opportunity of Adolf Hitler, during the Great Depression of 1929, what was it that brought him real, really to the forefront of German politics and where he became the figure he became for that people before the Second War? Here I have our history book of Ambassador College. You know, history is history, and this is still a very interesting book. I read from time to time. Here, I'm going to read to you a little synthesis of how the economic, the financial situation of Europe and the world, because of the Great Depression that affected, at that time, in 1929, the Western world, it did cast consequences in other parts of the world, of course, but not, not what we're seeing today. Not the paralysis of the order we are seeing today. So I'm going to read to you a few words here that I think are very meaningful. It is possible, brethren, I'm not prophet, we don't know exactly when these ten nations of ten powers, better to call them that way, are going to give the power to the beast. It's coming. Europe is in distress right now. The European Union, after Brexit and uh, and the financial situation now, the northern part of Europe is tired of helping the southern part of Europe, which is the clay in that image that we all know very well. The ten toes, and the feet and the toes, they are made of clay and iron. We know that the iron is Germany, my dear brethren. It's the highest decoration in Germany is the iron cross. It represents the power of that nation even in in antiquity, the Assyrian Empire was an empire of iron, brethren. And then is represented by those metals and they are do you know the clay is there. But we're just at the level of the feet now, which are clay and iron also, and Europe is more or less standing as the European Union. But there is not yet One single leader that, like we know, they will have. And that we know it was the case with Adolf Hitler. He got absolute control and power over the government of Germany. And here, I will read to you. Oh, brother, I'm taking a bit of time finding this page here, brethren. Okay, I know where that is. Yes, here it is. I read to you from this book of history that we used it as our text for history in Ambassador College. I treasure it. It says here, in 1929, the Great Depression began striking down economic prosperity. We can say now the pandemic starts striking out economic prosperity. And of course, it's becoming also a depression. It might be a depression. Some of the people that are very knowledgeable have seen it coming. I read it would take about a decade to recover in America from what it has been lost just in two months or three months, my dear brethren. A decade. So, in 1929, the Great Depression began striking down economic prosperity. One of the barriers that had kept the wolf at bay. You know who the wolf is here in this context. Unemployment jumped from 1.3 million in 1929 to 5 million in 1930. We know here is about 35 million or more in this country. When Germany had almost as many unemployed as all the other countries of Europe combined, industrial production fell. It's very similar to what we're seeing here now. Fell by one half between 1929 and 1932. One half, brethren. By the end of 1932, an incredible 43% of the labor force was unemployed. And it was estimated that only one out of every three union members was working full time. No factor was more important than the economic crisis for Hitler's success. You think, brethren, There is an economic crisis now going on in Europe, in America, and the rest of the world. And we know, by prophecy, that there's going to be a spectacular economic recovery. But the center of that recovery will not be the United States of America, will not be London, will not be Chicago, New York. It will be in Europe, my dear brethren. That's what prophecy tells us very clearly It will be the great Babylon. It will be the seventh restoration of the Roman Empire. They are going to have an amazing, spectacular economic recovery. How will they do it? Let me finish here, and I give you a few indications. Like I said at the beginning, we all know this, but it's good to focus a little bit to see that things are getting closer. So we examine ourselves and we decide what we're going to do with our daily behavior, my dear brethren, with our thoughts, with our desires, with our way of life. Are we getting ready to be the instruments of God to restore the whole earth and eventually the whole universe, brethren, to our daily duty? And these visions will help us to keep the law, like the proverb says. Happy is he who keeps the law when there is prophetic vision. He helps us to really take things seriously with ourselves. Is the only thing we can change with the power of God is ourselves. My dear brethren, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's the rule of a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have to put to death everything that goes against that law, in the spiritual sense and the physical sense. Crucified. So that Christ might be manifested through us like rivers of living water. And we'd be a blessing to everybody. So from now, we're getting ready to do the same for the whole world as we do it as individuals now, my dear brethren. That's the whole purpose of all of this What I'm telling you now. No factor was more important than the economic crisis for Hitler's success. You imagine, brethren, that... Let me finish this because this is amazing. was never much interested in economics before. Hitler didn't have much interest in economics. Hitler began promising German voters economic as well as political and military salvation. The world is crying for it here here in America and they are seeing that crisis growing up. There will be elections next year in Germany. We don't know what's going to happen there, brethren, but we ultimately do know there will be an amazing economic recovery. It would be an interesting study for you, brethren, to do, to read in the book of Ezekiel, which I don't have time to analyze today, in chapter 27, how, describe, how God describes the prosperity of the city of Tyre over the Mediterranean world, and how God mentions by the biblical names of the families that gave origin to the countries that exist today the nations he mentions a big number it was almost the whole world if we study the identity of each one of those nations like Tarshish there is a Tarshish in Spain in the Mediterranean but there is another one in Japan and the ships of Tarshish Japan has the fifth fleet in the world it will be very important in the restoration of Europe and now in February, the European Union signed a free trade agreement, free trade agreement with Japan, my dear brethren. And I will tell you a little bit more about it. German voters, promising German voters economic as well as political and military salvation. And the coming restoration will be religious salvation based on a false Christ, with a false law, with an alteration of the law of God, because it is written in the book of Daniel chapter 7, I hope you know, that there will be there a horn, a little horn, that would change the law and times. They would change the Sabbath for Sunday, which is the day of a star, the day to worship the devil. It might have started right in the, in the Garden of Eden. People sometimes said, oh, yeah, Sunday worship, that comes from Persia, or that comes from Egypt. Who knows? I'm almost sure, brethren. I'm not dogmatic. It probably comes from the Garden of Eden. There is a Jewish, (laughs) a Jewish tradition that says God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day of the week. We know that for a fact. It seems that He gave them instruction on that Sabbath that followed, and gave them one week of honeymoon in the paradise, in the Garden of Eden. And the next Sabbath, he instructed them again. And the next day, he allowed the snake, he allowed the serpent to come in. What day was that? It was Sunday, brethren. The day of a star. It might have started there, because the devil became the god of this world right there. And according to that tradition, which is, has a lot of sense, it was. The next day of the Sabbath when they received more instruction for God. That might be the origin. Why is that is going to be so important for that beast coming up in Europe to establish that day as the day of worship obligatory and to put to death anyone who will keep the Sabbath and all shops will be closed on Sunday. I've been in Germany, brethren. It's amazing how seriously they take Sunday. They are all very well dressed like we do for the Sabbath. And they are in the town, in the villages, they enjoy good cappuccino coffee with pastry, which is one of the few things they allow to open on Sunday. But all the shops and the factories are closed. And that's coming back as a law. And Saturday or Sabbath, everything has to be open. And those that will not obey will be put to death. That's what's coming, my dear brethren. And then, that's a breakup of the covenant with Jesus Christ. And then everybody has to worship an image. And I won't go into all the details. But the technology now will allow that government to know exactly who has worshipped the image and who hasn't. We have a historical example of those things in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. After Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar that he was the golden head, the head of gold in that image of the sequence of empires that would define the history of the Western world all the way to today, to the ten toes that will come out of that, of that statue. Nebuchadnezzar erected a statue of gold, six, sixty-six feet high, or six, there are two sixes there. Isn't that interesting? And there will be another image that has to be worshipped that have three sixes. I'm going to read to you. Yeah. Chapter three of the book is a historical example that we have to keep in mind. How God teaches us lessons, my dear brethren. Is the statue of a man that the Bible says a kingdom can be a kingdom, a nation, or many nations, if it's an empire. But the king of that kingdom, they can be exchangeable. Jesus Christ said, the kingdom of God is among you. He was referring to him who was the king of the world tomorrow, of the kingdom of God. So in the Bible, in, you can read that in Daniel 7, it says there will be a fourth kingdom. And then after he says, these are four kings so a kingdom and a king are exchangeable, if that's the right word, in prophecy, my dear brethren. But here, in chapter three of the book of Daniel, says Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, right after the explanation of the, of the dream. He went up, literally went up to his head. He said, "Made an image of gold whose height was sixty cubits." That's one six. And it's with six cubits. It's interesting. Two sixes. That's the second Babylon. For the third one will be three sixes. It will be the name of a man. And it will be obligatory to worship that image, brethren. And it happened. There are so many things to say. With Antiochus Epiphanes who put an image of Zeus or Jupiter Olympus right in the altar of sacrifices and sacrifice swine upon it. Something similar is coming, although we know the abomination of desolation will be someone sitting there where the, where the Holy of Holies was supposed to be, the holy place. They will know where it is. Now they still argue about it in Jerusalem. For Christ said the abomination of desolation will be in the holy place. We know there's a battle coming up in heaven. Satan is trying to take over the throne of God and the government of the universe. We can read that in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. And he's going to fail. but He's going to make sure he, in the body of of a human that will accept him, like Hitler did, he will sit in the place where the Holy of Holies was supposed to be, in Jerusalem, when sacrifices start, and he will stop them. We know all those things, brethren, that are coming. But we know what's beyond there. So let's, I'm just giving you several aspects of things that are coming. So we look at things in a more concentrated focus, and apply to our personal lives. Like the proverb at the beginning of the sermon. where there is no prophetic vision. People cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. And that's the key. And not only to keep it. But to keep it right. What God says. With all your soul. And with all your heart. No. In a lukewarm way. Which would give a to Jesus Christ. He said you will find me. And that's going to happen after the great tribulation to the physical nation and during the great tribulation to the spiritual nation of Israel that will not be protected. If we don't do it now, we will learn to do it when our lives are at stake day by day. And we will seek God with all our heart and with all our mind and our soul. And we will obey that commandment, the greatest of all. That's how God wants to be worshipped not in a lukewarm manner, with a passion, with our whole being. Sometimes we will not understand it because of the life we live today. We are drunk with distractions. Brethren, we don't have enough time to spend with God. We don't have enough time to to fast more often. And when we fast, to really get close to Him. Remember, when Christ fasted, He got to the desert and he explained to the disciples, when I'm taken away from you, you will fast because fasting, the purpose, fundamental purpose is to get close to God. Let these things that we are talking today help us to be more diligent. What did did Christ did? Our example. He got far from the world. He got close to God in the solitude of the wilderness. What did Moses do? He Went away from the crowd, climbed the mountain, and stayed there with God. Him and God alone. Do we have time for that today, brethren? Can we turn off the cell phone? Can we turn off the computer and say this day is for God? What did Elijah do? Walk farther and farther and farther from Israel until he reached Mount Sinai. Isn't that an example of the first thing we have to keep in mind when we're going to fast? I'm going to be close to God. And the world is not going to fall if I turn off the computer for 24 or 36 hours. It would be good 36, better than 24. It's just two meals. It's not much. All of that, brethren, we don't have enough time. We're too busy with things. Remember Martha and Mary... Martha was very busy, and it's not a question of not being diligent, but it's a question of priority. First things first. I'm reading with my son the seven habits of highly effective people. We're learning tremendous lessons. It's all taken from the Bible. That man was a diligent stu- student of the Bible. and He put it in a language that people would not clearly identify it, so they wouldn't reject it. And now they're celebrating 30 years of the publishing of that book because it has changed many lives. When they, He teaches by logic how to put to work God's way and how the results are there, undeniable. And if you break the rules, you're breaking ourselves. You break yourself. Anyway, there are many things to, say, to be said. I don't remember what I was going to tell you now. But I tell you this thing, brethren. It will be a golden opportunity for the beast power to come into the scene. Being this nation the way it is going and seeing the opportunity in Europe. Probably the devil will use it. I don't know. But in a state of worldwide recession, brethren, and maybe depression, how about someone coming out and making miracles in the face of the whole world, which will be very easy to see, by television, especially if that miracle is announced beforehand. And God tells us in Deuteronomy 13 that a prophet can announce a sign ahead of time, and the sign will be fulfilled. How about if this person that we know is going to come up on the scene announces that he's going to bring fire down from heaven in three days. The Bible tells us Deuteronomy 13. He says he will announce it in advance. How about he gives time to every chain of news to reach that piazza you know I'm talking about, the Vatican Square there, and install their cameras for the whole world. And he will come there, who knows, from the basilica, second floor, or from the apartment, and cry out, and bring fire down from heaven, brethren, in the sight of the whole world. And use it, that miracle to promote also the beast power. And use that miracle to present a solution to the depression. We, I don't know if that's going to happen that way, but it might happen, brethren. So we think, we see things coming like it happened in the days of Adolf Hitler, we know something is coming up, brethren. What is it? How can we explain how this man will appear and bring fire down from heaven and convince the world they have to make an image to the beast, which is the name of a man, which is also representative of a kingdom, of our empire. We have a historical example. And all the peoples, nations, and tongues worship that image. Babylonian, the Nebuchadnezzar Babylon was a world empire, because probably the world was not as, not having gone as far as it's been today. But let's, let's go together, brethren, to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, to see a few more things that are on the horizon for us and what we should do about it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Who is the dragon? It's explained right here. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So let's keep reading in verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's coming. Why is that going to happen? Because it happened already before. And it's predicted that's going to happen again. And let's go to, uh, to Isaiah chapter 14, brethren, to see what's in the mind of the dragon to take the heaven by assault. Try to take it by assault. He will attempt to do it. In chapter 14 of the book of Isaiah, and verse 12, let's read there. How you are falling from heaven, O Lucifer. What are we reading there? He was cast down to the earth. Here it is describing how it happened before and how it will happen again. Right in our days. It says, how you are falling from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How oh, you are cut down to the ground. You see, sun of the morning is the sun of light, the sun of the sunshine. Sunday. You who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart. It's amazing. God reveals us what he was thinking. And he's thinking still today. He hasn't changed. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I mean mean the the stars, also the angels of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, we know that he's going to be put down underground for one thousand years when he comes, when Christ returns to the lowest depths of the pit. Now we don't know. We will not be able to see when that battle is going to take place, but we will know for sure when it, it will have taken place. It's very possible, brethren, the devil, he knows. Things are getting ripe for the end time to develop a great speed and the return of Christ is at hand. Maybe he's going up there to try to keep Christ from returning to this earth and take the power and the ruler and the rulership of the earth that's been given to him since Adam and Eve in the Garden of, Eve, of Eden. And he will not be able to. He will be cast to the earth. What will he do? Let's read here. Chapter 12 and verse, chapter 12 and verse 12 of the book of Revelation. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because he was cast down to the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Verse 13 was the first thing he's going to do. If he cannot keep Christ from coming back, he will still try. He will come to eliminate those that will take the authority and the rulership of this world. He would like to kill them. And that's what we have seen in the history of humankind throughout the centuries. How many times, even in the Bible, you read that the son of a certain king came up, and the first thing he did was to kill all his brothers. So he will get the power. That's how humans function under the sway of the devil. Now, when the dragon saw, verse 13 of chapter 12, Revelation, that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. That's the church of the living God, my dear brethren, whose head is Jesus Christ. Why does he persecute us? Because going to take his place, brethren. He knows he has little time. It might very well be, because he comes down to the earth, that... That time is already written in the book of Daniel. Let's go there for a moment in chapter 12 of the book of Daniel, my dear brethren. And we'll see something that is an indication of things that could be the ones, give us a key to understand. And there is much to be explained about that. I don't have time to go in all details. But... Let's read chapter 12 and verse 11 of the book of Daniel. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be one thousand two hundred and 90 days so we know the sacrifices are going to start again but 1,000 I read here 1,290 days before the return of Jesus Christ like the church has explained over and over from the times of Mr. Armstrong who understood this when the sacrifices are stopped we have we can start counting 1,290 days for the return of Jesus Christ by then we will know Preclose close the day of his return now we don't know yet verse 12 blessed is he who waits and comes to 1,335 days that's 45 days before the sacrifices are stopped why does he say that? It is very possible, and the church has explained too, that this means the beginning of a persecution. So what the devil has to do to persecute us, he cannot do it himself directly. He's in a state of restriction. They are in chains of darkness. But they can influence humanity. He will have an instrument ready when he is cast down to be able to act Like he did, he used Adolf Hitler to to kill 6 million Jews. Now he's going to use the false prophet and the beast to kill the spiritual Jews that are going to replace him on the rulership of this world. That's as simple as that. It's very possible that when he's cast down, the little time that he knows that is left for him is 1,335 days. And then he has to enter into the false prophet and give him the power to bring fire down from heaven. He has that power. When you read the book of Job, you know that fire came down from heaven when God gave him permission to destroy everything that Job owned. And his flocks were destroyed by what people thought was fire from God. You can read that in the book of Job. And when people are going to see fire coming down from heaven... And everybody's going to see that it's real coming there to the center of that plaza. It's going to be an amazing thing, my dear brethren. And he's going to use that. But the one who is doing that is the one he's going to use to start a persecution against what the Bible says that he will persecute the church of the living God as soon as he's cast down, but he needs a human instrument, like he used Hitler for the physical Jews. This time will be directly to the spiritual Jews, my dear brethren. We're going to replace him. I have here the booklet Revelation, the Mystery Unveiled. Amazing revelation for us, my dear brethren. And I'm going to read what it says here, right in this booklet, on page 20, at the end of the chapter about the four horsemen of Revelation. Page 20 of the book, Revelation, the Mystery Unveiled. When this final false prophet arises on the world of sin, true Christians will be able to recognize exactly where are we in the scope of prophecy. I read that again, brethren. It's here in our publications. It says, when this final false prophet arises on the world of sin, and it will be literally on the world sin, he will bring fire from heaven to the presence of all humanity. Now it's possible. True Christians will be able to recognize exactly where we are in the scope of prophecy. The first seal will have been opened and it's the end time fulfillment will have been manifested and it's end time fulfillment will have been manifested. The opening of the other seals will follow quickly thereafter. So, we will know when the first seal has been opened, when the devil is cast to the earth and he possesses the false prophet, and know, oh, he will possess the beast too, because we know they are f- full of demons. In chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, there are demons like frogs that come out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the false prophet and the mouth of the beast. One person can have more than one demon, and that's proof of it. And he probably eventually will also possess each one of these personages in prophecy. The system is in place, brethren. I have a list here of the free trade agreements Europe, the European Union has. There's no other market in the world that has such amazing network of free trade agreements. And it corresponds with with those nations that are, with their biblical names mentioned in Ezekiel 27 about the, the city of Tyre. I have here, for example, the Mercosur in South America, all of South America, the main states, the world are part, active part of Mercosur, is an alliance, a commercial and inter, you know, business exchange alliance in South America to facilitate international trade and to knock down custom barriers, to improve, you know, the economic, uh, or the standard of living, especially of the rich, but it will be such an opportunity also that the poor maybe will be also benefited but not like in the kingdom of god this this mercosur they they have just signed a free trade agreement all of south america the main nations are argentina brazil paraguay and uruguay venezuela was part of it but it's been eliminated for more than one reason and the rest of south america are the associate states and they will become sh- surely they all will become one part of the whole thing, to have free trade with Europe, where they will export their merchandise without custom barriers. That is going to bring, like I told you, an amazing economic recovery, my dear friends, with that strategy. And then the rest of South America is part of Mercosur. And in Central America, they have another association. They also have a free Trade agreement with Europe. And their goal is to reduce 70% of all the taxes of the custom duties and to completely eliminate them. The United States does not have a free trade agreement with Europe, but Canada has one. My dear brethren. Amazing. And Australia has one. And New Zealand has one. And Africa has one. I know, I'm going to, they are all here. The Lebanon, even the Middle East. And you read, all those nations are mentioned in Ezekiel 27 by the names of the patriarchs according to the Bible. Even Mesec, even Moscow. Remember that Hitler wrote, he signed a, a, a pact of non-aggression with Russia, with Stalin, with the Soviet Union. One week before the, the beginning of the, of the Second War, they signed an agreement. The beast power is going to have an agreement with Everyone on the face of the earth, even with Russia, is mentioned there, Mesek, Moscow. Still that name is there, brethren. Tobolsk, the first city after the Urals in Siberia. Togarma, part of Siberia, part of Bulgaria. I've been looking about those names. It's fascinating, brethren. And then Japan is part now, had a free trade agreement, and is mentioned over and over as one of the main instruments of commerce in this resurrection of economic prosperity that will be worldwide. But it will last less than three years, brethren. Why? Let's read. I give you the, the synthesis. I'm going to read to you all the agreements with Africa, subs, sub-Saharan Africa, all the way to the end, North Africa, even the state gulfs, Takar, you know, uh, all these uh, states, you know, the... Arab, United Arab Emirates, they already are working in free trade agreements with Europe. The system is set up. The only thing that is needed is the appearance by miraculous power of this prophet and this beast power that will put to work that system, my brethren, and that will eliminate and that everyone after a recession like one we had is, is going to be like in the book of Daniel. All the nations, people, nations, and tongues prostrated themselves and worshipped the image. They won't have any problem doing it. Only a few people will have a problem with it. And we cost their lives. But it's worth it, brethren. If we have our eyes in that kingdom that will be established, it will be a matter of months. It will be resurrected. Like even the two witnesses, brethren. They will be resurrected three and a half days after they died. They will come up to eternal life when the seven trumpets sounds. So I'm just giving to you these amazing things that are coming, brethren, just to focus them and the system in Europe is set up. I have a few it says the opening of our regimen this is a I read this in the European Union web page. In the General Direction of Commerce. He says here the opening our regimen of commerce makes the European Union play a role main role in the scenery of world commerce europe is the first the first maker and exporter in the world of goods and services and the biggest market of exportation for more than 80 countries it says we have more than 500 million consumers that are looking for Oracles of Good Quality, were the biggest commercial center in the world with transparent rules and regulations. And their goal is to eliminate all custom barriers. We are the most open market for the countries that are for the third world. They said we're the best. We are generous. Our objective is free trade, free commerce, more than 70% of all imports, enter the European Union with zero taxes of customs. And he says, or with very reduced tariffs. We have the inver- investment regimen the most open in the world. So, brethren, the system is set up. We are only have to wait for the appearance of that false prophet. That will be the white horse. That's what our, that will be when we will read and then the red horse would, would continue. We have had false prophets since Christ preached that thing, but here it explained have been false prophets, ethnic conflicts, famines, pestilences. But the great difference is at the time of the end, it will be a concentrated one after the other will come with amazing speed. And guess what? Let me read to you, by the words of Jesus Christ, how he defines those four horsemen of Revelation. Chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. It says here, Verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciple came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Listen listen well, brethren. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Like I mentioned to you, you know, the false prophet can announce the miracle like is written. You, You should read that. Write down Deuteronomy 13 and compare with Revelation 13. Verse 13, 313 in a row. It will be announced beforehand and it will happen and people will go hysteric and they will accept that as the redemption of their situation and they will have no problem in accepting the mark of the beast and worshipping the image, breaking the covenant. Breaking the Ten Commandments. Those are breaking of two specific commandments. The longest ones that people cut off in the walls of their homes, which they should not. We should not take away from the Word of God. He took the pains to come to the top of Mount Sinai and pronounce them in person. And the number two about not worshiping image is long And the fourth one, those two commandments are the longest ones that give us many important keys on how to obey them. And people hang them on the walls, even in the church. Keep the Sabbath holy. How can we take the rest of it from there? And the other about the images, number two, do not worship images or don't have idols, period. That's not what God did. And we should respect that, brethren, and and remember them by heart. Like David says, I keep your saints in my heart so I don't transgress against you. So, let's read here, Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And this will be, of course, the white horse. We know that, I don't need to explain this to you. For many will come. And then verse 6. And you will hear of wars. This is the red horse. And rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the, the end is not yet. And we will be protected throughout the four horsemen. And we will enter the place of safety exactly at the beginning of the three and a half years. It is written there in Revelation. We will be nourished for time and times and half a time. And at the same time when the beast enters Jerusalem. There's so much to say, brethren. But we know what's beyond there. And the Apostle Paul, right here in Thessalonians, I'm about to finish. But I have a message to the young I don't want to. Skip. You can cut it off. But there is something I have to say to the young people, which I love. I have one at home. And uh, anyway, I forgot what I was going to say. But this is what's coming. Oh, First Thessalonians chapter five. Let's read that. First Thessalonians chapter five. It says how people will be so happy with the rulership. Of a false Christ with a false law of God and forcing everybody to break it and killing anyone who doesn't. So that would be in chapter five. Let's read. Chapter five of First Thessalonians, verse one but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly That the day of the Lord, a day is one year. I don't need to quote you about seven scriptures that prove that. I hope you know them. The day of the Lord means the year of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety because they have an agreement with Russia, because they have an agreement with China, because the prosperity has reached to the utmost corners of the world. The Pax Romana will be there like it was in the times of the Roman Empire, and the free trade agreement, everybody can sell their products, and they don't have to pay custom duties. Everyone will benefit. It's very wise. And he says... For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. The sound of the first trumpet. It will last one year. And the peace power will be in action, although it will start before the three and a half years, will be in action in Jerusalem for 42 months, three and a half years. So this tremendous prosperity is going to last about two and a half years. And then the day of the Lord which will take care of all the world we have built since Adam and Eve, based on the tree of good and evil, will be eliminated, and a new world will come up, based on the eternal laws of God. They are eternal. You can read that in Psalm 113, I think. And there will be peace, and there will be joy, and there will be Restoration. Now, one last thing for the, for the young people. I say quickly. When we see the panoramic view of prophecy, we can say many more things. I understand if I were 20 years old or younger. Oh, boy, what's happened to my career? I want to have a career. Uh, I want to get married. And I will see all these beautiful marriages happening here. This boy, this is a fertile land for love. Charlotte want to fall in love, move to Charlotte. It's just amazing. And say, I want to get married. What's going to happen to my life? I tell you one thing, my dear friends, and I say it as shortly as I can. The panoramic view that God is offering to the youth of his church is something absolutely marvelous that has not been offered to any era of church god of God or any time in the history of the world. If you fulfill the conditions to enter the place of safety, you have the brightest future ahead of you. What you have to do is study those conditions, make a study about them, read Isaiah thirty three, beginning in verse fourteen, read Psalm 15 in compare with Isaiah, and they are the conditions to enter the kingdom of God. Isaiah, the conditions to enter the place of safety, they are the same. You need to develop the character of Jesus Christ from now, and He is not asking too much of you because He has done it before with many young people, and you can be protected from this terrible thing that is coming, and you can be in the place of safety and get married there, and have three and a half years of honeymoon. How do you like that? And have children. And many will wonder, but what will happen to our children when we are changed to spirit beings? You know, the angels even now take care of the children in the church, in a way, and it would be in a more specific way at that time. Christ said that the angels of those kids that were brought to him to lay hands on them, they see the, the face of our Father in heaven and the angels will be the baby sealers. They are sent as servants of those that will inherit salvation. If you get too busy with the business of Jesus Christ and, and the activities of a ruler, maybe you will be absent from your children for a while but the angels will take care of them. They will be in good hands. It will be another marvelous world. And you will be able to see your children's children for 1,000 years. When does that been offered to anyone? Until they join you in the family of God to rule not only this earth, but the universe with eternal happiness. That's what you have to put your eyes on. You have an opportunity, but you have to qualify for it with the power of God. Read Ezekiel 14. He will not save anyone because his father is a righteous man or his mother. You have to do your own homework with the help of the eternal God. If you don't have the Spirit yet, the Spirit is with you. And eventually will be in you because it's the promise. It's for the parents and their children but they have a responsibility to put it to work in their own lives. And then you have a future A brilliant future, a marvelous future, brethren, that never has been offered to any generation in the history of mankind. So take good courage and be diligent in seeking God with all your hearts and all your minds and you will be there and enjoy the most wonderful privilege and blessing ever offered to a generation in history. Made eternal and his peace with all of you.